This is Moving Beyond, the podcast. What you're about to hear is an unscripted session with a psychic medium. Fleur had no contact with the participants prior to this meeting. They were screened by me, Elizabeth, one of the producers of the podcast, in order to preserve the integrity of the psychic reading. Absolutely no information was given to Fleur before their psychic session. My name is Fleur, and I am an intuition teacher, a psychic medium, and host of this podcast, Moving Beyond. Here, you have the opportunity to be a fly on my wall and listen in on an intimate reading in which I connect someone to their loved ones on the other side. You will hear stories of grief and tremendous loss, but you will also hear stories of love and connection and witness beautiful transformations. Thank you for listening with an open heart. I truly believe that we heal in community, and you're here. You are an important part of this one. On today's podcast episode, I continue my conversation with Elizabeth Lame. If you missed the reading last week, go back and listen to that first, because this week will be an interview with me and her where we talk about my journey into mediumship, and we get some really cool insights into her realizations post-reading. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I have to tell you. Okay. So after your reading last time, you had said you were talking about my mom was bringing up Christmas and was bringing up an angel and like Christmas things we had of theirs and it wasn't really resonating. And then a few days later, I was I was actually getting my hair and makeup done and I was telling the makeup artist about the reading with you. And I was like, oh my God this angel thing that she brought up that I I was like, I don't really know about the angel thing. Cause I usually think my mother-in-law has like a thing with angels Mm -hmm. and um, the night that my mom died, this is, this is kind of a wild story, but I was at my debutante ball okay, and uh, someone gave me like this crystal angel ornament that has totally represented her to me because it's on that night oh, it's inscripted wow. with that night it's the first ornament I put on the tree every year and I was like how did I miss that it was oh um, wow how yeah. cool yeah so I I had definitely those moments after your reading where things kind of gelled in a new way um that happens we call it psychic amnesia <laughs> in the moment perfect. people are like I don't have a brother um <laughs> you know like people just completely have a brother. After I was like, I don't know why I said that. I have two, like, you know. <laughs> but it happens. I think there's just this moment of, of you're just trying to take it all in, and then there's these details. But I think that's part of what makes it so special, because you get to then think about it and come to the realization. And it does sometimes take even a year or two years, and it has this trickle down effect. And and at times, even, you won't realize something until you've spoken to somebody else who then verifies it. I think it's, right. it's a really beautiful domino effect that it can have, that it can have and hold. That's so true. That's so fascinating. Um, thank you for doing this. I'm, I'm very excited because I have so many questions for you. 
Um, but I wanted to start just by asking you, like, how you found yourself uh, along this path. <laughs> yeah, right. It is a weird path. Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all. It's really lovely to, to chat and to connect. Um, I have been working as a psychic medium now for about 12, 13 years. And previous to that, it was definitely not something I thought I would do as a job. I mean, it is kind of a crazy job, right? So nobody's going to go to their guidance counselor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one's like signing up for that at the end of high school. Um, <laughs> it just isn't an option. But I had always known I wanted to be in a healing profession. I had always known that I, I was very, very uh, adamant on becoming a doctor for a very long time. Um, specifically, I wanted to do neuroscience and neurology. But I'd also had this ability all throughout my childhood. It was a huge part of my childhood. Um, it was not something I liked. It was not something I wanted. Yet it was very present. So it was for me a moment when I was 18, 19, where I had to make peace with the fact that this was a very big part of who I was. Mm -hmm. And then as I started making peace with it, I had to really figure out if it was real or not real by doing the readings for people, you know, because otherwise it's like I'm just living in a vacuum. Right. And as I started doing the readings for people, then I thought all of a sudden, oh, like this is helping you. Like I had not considered that as part of it at all. It was just something that was plaguing me. Right. There had never been a realization of like this could be helpful to someone. I know that sounds crazy, but no, it was it just kind of like an internal experience, right? I, I love I love hearing on your podcast, uh, mm -hmm. especially uh, the, the episodes that you do sometimes in tandem with a therapist or a grief mm -hmm. counselor who uh, I think illustrating how healing this can be because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people look at it either as like it's a pseudoscience or yeah. um, I don't know. I think that it is it is such a beautiful healing art, really. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool. Can I ask you, you when you were a, when you were a child? Also, I was thinking you had at 18, like had to accept this part of yourself. Mm -hmm. I had to accept that I I'm not really a beach girl even though I was trying very hard to embrace beach culture. So different paths, you know. Um, I mean, I had those aspects of it too, let me tell you. On one side, it was a very serious life, and on the other side, I was still trying to figure my life out. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good to hear. So when you were a child, I mean, this kind of goes to other questions I have also, like when, when with my reading with my parents and my it seems like my dad was on one side and my mom. Yeah. How how do these, I guess, spirits come to you? And then how would that happen to you as a child? And how did you navigate that? Yeah, I think as a child, initially, in the very beginning, I thought, oh, this is just reality as it is. This is like how everybody perceives reality. Then when you're about four or five, you start having this awareness of, oh, my reality is not your reality. So it, it takes a little developmental uh, progression before I think you have that realization. And you have children. So mm -hmm. I think you must understand or at least see that when they're very young. They just assume that that's their own, their own experience is your experience, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so 
for me, it wasn't really something that was frightening or different until there was the realization of, oh, it's not happening to you. And what I was really lucky to have is my parents, while not being from a spiritual background at all, um, had seen me or heard me say enough stuff that was odd and factual. Nicknames of great-grandparents I'd never met, saying things about random people I had just met, that for them, it was a very logical, it's not imagination. We don't know what it is. We don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But it's not imagination. That's very clear, you know? And they're both quite factual, logical people. I grew up in the Netherlands, um, which is very practical culture at the end of the day. Like we're, very, we're known to be practical, you know? And so I think from their perspective, my dad being an engineer, my mom being a journalist, very practical culture, they were like, well, facts are facts. This is just what she's coming out with. That being said, let's not discourage it. Let's not encourage it. We just let it be her thing and we'll see what happens. But it was your siblings. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I have a younger sister. Okay, so they also, and it, does your sister have the same gift no. or Mm-mm. burden, depending on? <laughs> um, no, she's bizarrely good at finding things, but she's also just incredibly organized. So I think, <laughs> I don't know if we can call it a psychic gift, but um, I, no, no, not in the way that I do, nor do my parents, nor does anyone else in the family. So it wasn't something um, that I think was some, you know, wasn't necessarily cultivated in the family, for example. I didn't learn how to meditate until I was like 18, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't like right. my parents were, were in that world of new age. They were, they tried reading all about it, right? They like really did their best to find out as much information as possible. But I wasn't being like um, nurtured in a spiritualist community or something. Can you think of an example as a kid where you had something come through or someone come through? that like and you um talked about it and what the reaction was I guess yeah yeah I think for the one that I always look back at in my childhood as really helping my parents go okay maybe the nation was a moment where my mom was getting ready she was going out for the night I must have been playing in her bedroom or something um and I'm just like, you know, having a conversation with people no one can see. <laughs> and so my mom's like, oh, who are we talking to? You know, um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, there's this, this tall lady and there's this fat, shorter man. And she's like, OK, um, well, what are their names? You know, kind of just kind of playing around with it. And she keeps talking. And I tell her, I'm like, mom, I can't hear what they're saying if you keep talking. So I need you to be quiet. And she's like, oh, all right. So, you know, she stops talking and then I give her the nicknames of my of her grandparents who had long been passed and they were nicknames that they only used for each other so they weren't nicknames that like anyone else in the family would have ever referred to them as or would have said hadn't really been spoken of in years you know my great-grandfather at that point had been gone for I don't know 30 40 years it wasn't something that she had any way of saying okay that came from somewhere not to mention my great-grandmother was tall and thin and my great-grandfather was short and fat and just the way that I described them and the way that I went about it she was like okay uh interesting (laughs) like that moment where you're like I don't really know where this information is coming from but it's obviously coming from somewhere and so they didn't they didn't know what to do with it uh and of course like 
this idea of intuition and spirituality also wasn't widely known at this time. This is early, early 90s. So we don't have the literature at that point, nor the internet to Mm -hmm. really help you out in terms of, you know, what does a psychic kid do? I'm imagining Googling like (laughs) my child is talking to my dead grandparents. Like, right. Well, now you would actually get some great insights. I think there's plenty of books. You know, of course, you've got all the crazy Reddit threads, I'm sure. But you would also have all the the helpful materials. And back then, the Internet just wasn't a thing. So Mm -hmm. she didn't have that necessarily. But that's that's an example of it. And again, it wasn't really something that they, you know, thank goodness, like no one used it as a party trick. No one ever like exploited it there was no um encouragement beyond just we'll accept it at home and then they were really protective of me in the outer world so that it wasn't something they told other people about it was something that they were like really aware that um they taught me to keep it to myself just not to be different or bullied or you know like as parents do you're like let's just try to protect this (laughs) yeah and see how it goes Great. So when you um, so you were kind of heading towards a, a medical career and then and then had a kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So about... I wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, honestly, okay. it's like, you know, my, my mom at a certain point did encourage it. She's like, here's a deck of tarot cards, you know, for when I was turning 15 or something. And, I, and we, we laugh about it now because it was one of our biggest fights. I was like, why would you give this to me? Because <laughs> you know? oh, wow. I was so anti-spiritualism at that point. Like I was so anti like anything um, because I was just like, I want to be different. I don't want to be weird. I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to be a doctor. I don't need that silly stuff. I was just highly imaginative as a kid. And she's mm. like, well, you were. But were okay. you able to kind of turn it off? By that point, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. By that point, I really went like 180. I had spent years suppressing, suppressing, suppressing. And then by about 15, 16, I fully convinced myself I was never that it was not me. I fooled everyone. Um, It was like a real story I told myself at like 16, 17, 18, just to be like, Mm -hmm. nope, I don't do that. (laughs) Right. And anything that could have possibly popped up during that period of time, I'd be like, nope, don't want to hear it. Don't want to see it. Like that's not me kind of went full atheist was really like science math this is what I'm gonna do but it for me I think was just Mm self-protection as a way to to just you know shut it down and then um I went to UCLA I went into the neuroscience program and got really ill like within the first couple months of school uh, mm-hmm. Now you have to understand at that point, my whole identity was academics. So I was that really annoying straight A president of seven clubs, like, you know, like really annoying 18 year old. <laughs> like <laughs> like headed for success. Go oh, yeah. to UCLA. <laughs> oh, yeah. All yeah. The, Perfect yeah. SAT math score. Like, you know, like president wow. of all the clubs. Like I was just like, I am headed. My parents dream daughter, <laughs> basically. Well, and interestingly, not my, like, my parents are like, maybe I just, like, calm it down a little bit, you know? <laughs> it's funny how we always kind of kind of go against, um, against the parents. But 
I feel like, uh, yeah, I was just, and it was a part of that, I think, too. I was like so hell bent on being, having a different identity. And I was like, this is, this is, makes sense. It's logical. It's concrete. I can get behind that. But I got quite ill. Um, no one could figure it out. And then at one point, my, my sweet dad was like, you know, I know it's a little weird, but like, what if you went to go see a psychic medium or somebody who does what you did when you were a kid? You just never know. We're kind of out of options. No one knows what's going on. Like, just go see somebody. So I did. I was in L.A. and I went to go see this um, this psychic medium. And the first thing she said to me is, you're not living your purpose. And if you don't, you'll get very ill and you will likely die. And I was like, lady, I just want to be a doctor. Like, <laughs> I just, what is wrong with getting to just be a doctor? You know, yeah. had this like little like angry <laughs> universe. Um, what kind of ill were you? You know, I still can't quite figure it out, um, but I would, I, I just like hit like a massive burnout, you know, mm. like I could sleep 15 hours a day. I couldn't remember anything. My, um, I had terrible headaches. I had terrible insomnia. I, it was like my whole nervous system went kind of cuckoo. Um, mm -hmm. And there wasn't really anything to point to. It was like I was like 18, 19, you know, and sure. OK, like college can be a little stressful, but it was like my whole burnt body went into like a nervous system shutdown. Mm -hmm. Wow. But there was nothing to point to other than I was like, I can't walk to class like I can't like get up out of bed. Wow. You know? I do think that your body, I mean, in your case, it's a whole different <laughs> fall game, but like I'm reminded by my husband in New York was his body was like shutting down and having these migraines. And ultimately it was because he he needed to pursue music and yeah. he was like stuck in this cycle of not committing to that and was in this like shitty job that he stayed in and and then when he quit that job and kind of took the risk is when all everything just lifted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the body keeps the score. And it's mm -hmm. also it's that moment. And I'm sure he knows it, too. When you don't have your health, you don't have anything at the end yes. of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's the biggest wake up call. Like there will be nothing that stops you in your tracks. Like your body saying, OK, we quit. You know, totally. so there's that moment where. For me, at least, it was like, well, I'm like, you know, 19 and I don't want to die and I'm like wanting to live a normal life. And OK, fine. The lady says start meditating. So. OK, <laughs> it was like, I have to because I don't see any other road here. And it, it was it, I think there was such a desire on a spiritual level, probably very likely in the same way your husband with the music. But my rational mental mind was telling me every reason why that would be a terrible decision. Mm -hmm. So I was just like trying to forge a path for myself that wasn't working. Um, and there were so many other things around that time that happened because I was sick. I was like, okay, fine, fine. I'll transfer schools and I'll go back home. They lost all my transcripts. Um, therefore, I wasn't able to apply the next year. I had to stay at, at UCLA. It was like such a funny, everything around me was just like, stop, 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 stop. Like you are not passing go, you know, it was, right. you sit your butt down and you start meditating. So I did. Do you believe I'm, I'm about to detour, um, like when things like that happen in your life, 
you know, and I guess for us normies, um, it's like those things can happen where it's feeling like the universe is telling you you need to X, Y, Z. Do you believe in like spirit guides or like a specific kind of entity is looking out for you and pulling strings? Or do you think like, how do you think that that what's the mechanism with that? It's a good question. I mean, I can only give you my kind of theory on it um, because it's ever evolving, right? I'm in the physical body. My awareness of the other side is small uh, because it's just a glimpse. And I do receive a lot, but it's always going through my own bias. It's always going through my own mind. So taking that in consideration, um, I do feel like there is guidance. I, I think as humans, we really like to put an identification on guidance. We want them mm-hmm. to be like a spirit guide. And that is a person, you know, mm-hmm. and we can call right, him Fred. Right. <laughs> and like there is that. Mm. And, and, and I feel like it, it might very well be that. It, it also is likely your loved ones. I do feel like that comes up a lot. But guidance as a whole, I think, can also be found within the spirit, within yourself. And I think oftentimes we somehow get into a space where we think those on the other side or anything outside of us has a higher hierarchy than the spirit within. Um, but the own spirit is very wise as well. And it's constantly trying to get your attention. It's constantly trying to say like, hey, that's not really what's true, true, true for you. That might be mm-hmm. what the rational mind has told you or social expectation has told you, but that's not truth. And I feel like it's an orchestration then between your spirit and whatever spirit is outside. I don't know if it's a pooling of strings, but it might just be an alignment. Mm. You know, that they're trying to get you to align and you're either paying attention or not. Right. And they have to get louder, like make you incredibly ill. (laughs) Well, and then I and I don't know if they're if it's not something that's being done to you. It's more of like you're not flowing. Right. Right, There's some sort of energetic current. And I would say the same for musicians. When you speak to musicians, when you speak to artists, but anyone really who gets into a flow state, right? Mm-hmm. What is that? Can you know? Of course, it's the mental brain waves, but it's also some sort of spiritual energy, if you want to call it that. Your own soul, your own spirit, getting to speak. If you're supposed to speak, if your spirit wants to speak, and you're not letting it speak, then I think the doors are just going to start closing. When uh, I I'm reading this book after by Bruce Grayson. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but he he's a doctor who's done all these studies on near-death experiences and um, kind of a theory that's in the book that, you know, can't be proven or not proven, mm-hmm. but is that our, like, our human brains and human bodies are kind of a filter for our spirit to exist in this human experience. Mm. And so it actually, without our human brains and human bodies, we're like so much more expansive and there's mm-hmm. bigger and uh, there's way more knowledge and there's way more intuition and there's, and just by virtue of experiencing this human life, mm-hmm. our brains are filtering out. And I mean, I feel this even you know, my brain, I just flew and I'm a nervous flyer. And actually, I thought of you because you were like, you and your sister are going to live past your parents' age. I was like, okay, I'm at least getting a 53. Oh. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but okay. I'm like, yeah, I was like, this flight will not be the end of me. Um, but, you know, I kind of over, we do that. We like yeah. overcompensate our worry yep. for survival as human beings. But I think even on like, I, that theory really resonates for me in a, in an interesting way. I like the idea of it that um, our human brains basically limit the human spirit so that we can function through the human experience i yeah. guess yeah i mean in a, in a lot of ways i think i would agree with that um when i you know i've had the real pleasure and this is a lot of what i teach these days i've had the real pleasure of sitting and doing like i don't know what is it maybe seventeen thousand readings now and in doing readings i can also watch because i don't just do the mediumship which is people have passed but I also do psychic readings and in that it allows me to watch how people's energy flows and what they create and what they don't create and where they get stuck and how they can get into flow. And it's really given me an understanding of one, how our intuition flows. And this is then what I teach. But then also intuition is that idea of, okay, you're receiving energetic information from your environment, but manifestation is you're creating energetic environment, energy into your environment, right? Manifestation mm -hmm. is the creating of that energy. And then intuition is the receiving of it. Um, but it's interesting because I will work with people and there will be a certain area of their life where that human experience has really allowed them to calibrate and dial in exactly what it is that they want. And when they're in flow and they're calibrated, it's like boom, 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 right? And there'll be, this is true for almost everybody. It won't ever exist across all planes of their life. You know, maybe like in relationships, they're like, boom. Like I'm locked in, I'm flowing the energy, like this is where I'm really thriving right now. And then you'll get to like work career and it's like a mess <laughs> you know? or yeah, then yeah. vice versa for someone else. Um, but the ultimate thing is I think you can get it cleaned up in any area, but that cleanup is that that human filter mm -hmm. and it's that lens because we have so much free will. We have so much choice, uh, yet we do have to get clear on what it is and desire and then have that actually correspond also to what the spiritual desire is and that can be a little tricky for people sometimes do you feel like you're stumbling around a little bit on your spiritual journey well one thing that can help you find purpose and direction is knowing your archetype archetype are universal patterns of purpose and behavior that once you discover yours are really going to help you find your place in the world and your purpose in the world. I've created a very fun, very quick quiz to help you find yours and you can find it in the show notes or at mediumfleurfleur.com. Finding your archetype will help you find direction and we've even offered you some resources to find that next steady step on your spiritual journey. Go online today and find your archetype and your direction on your spiritual path. Before we get back to our show, I want to tell you about our Patreon. Patreon is an amazing way to help support the show, but also it's going to give you a sneak peek into something we've never offered before. You can find pictures, videos, little memorabilia between the client, the person that I'm connecting with, and their loved one on the other side. 
These photos are often the ones that I get after sessions, but I'm wanting to share them with you because I see them as a love letter and just a beautiful way of honoring those who have passed. If you are at all curious, if you want to see them, if you want to honor them too, please check out our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes and you can help support the show. Thank you for being here and enjoy the rest of today's podcast. I wanted to ask you, like now, you know, obviously now you're very established. This is your work. And it occurred to me it must be challenging dealing with clients who have such high expectations on their experience with you. Mm. Like, how do you navigate? Because um, me receiving the reading was such a joy. I'm not in the throes of grief. I'm mm-hmm. 22 years out. I I have I'm in a really really good place in my life. But a lot of the people you're meeting with are in you're you're meeting them on some of their darkest days. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering how you navigate um I guess that expectation, that energy coming at you and I guess like what is your self-care? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's two parts to this. I was once given really good advice by a former, I guess, colleague. Um, it was because I used to do a lot of stage shows and we went on stage together and I was really getting nervous about like performance and da da da. Really, just remember, it's not about you. And I was like, right. <laughs> it is not about me. So at the end of the day, that has kind of been a motto for me or a mantra. It's like, if I start getting nervous, I can tell that I'm worried about my performance, right? Mm-hmm. Like how good the information is going to be, but I can't control for that. Like what the client is going to need is what the client's going to need. And sometimes I might think like, oh, like for example, with the Christmas ornament thing, it could have been really easy for me to be like, God, like I just kept going on about that ornament and it was so obviously wrong. And then I just kept pushing for it. And like mom kept bringing up Christmas and I really should have just let that go like that, you know, but sometimes that's the juiciest bit. And I have to trust that there is just something behind it. And it's not about me looking good in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though like all of my humanness wants to look good in that moment because it's a live podcast and we are recording this and you know, all of those other reasons why it would just be so easy to abandon the thing that's not working. Um, so I've just kind of learned to have a trust in it. And that's not easy. Um, but for me, it means that I have to do my spiritual input is what I call it. Because um, that's spiritual output, right? There's like, I'm giving the reading, I'm, I'm giving that, that, that energy out. It's all output, but I have to input as well. And those are just moments that make me, the input is moments that make me feel connected to something larger. It's like they're, it just fill my bucket, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always have to make sure that, um, that my bucket's being filled. And, and I'm a real, uh, I was just talking about this yesterday with someone because everyone always wants to know like, what's your morning routine, you know? And I was like, my routine is that there is no routine. Um, I just like go for joy in the morning. So if that mm-hmm. is meditation, then I sit down and do a meditation. If it's like a little bit of mantra singing, I'll do that. 
if it's just like dancing around in my kitchen and having a cup of coffee, I'll do that. It's whatever is kind of that joy or that like for me fills me up. And it's just a question of like, what do I need this morning? And it might just be a walk with the dog, might be sitting in the sun, just like feeling the sun on my face. Um, it might be writing in a journal. It might be the med- like a more strict meditation practice. But I just need to input something to my mm. bucket. And That's I know that amazing. for me, routine does not work when I'm inputting because then it feels like I have to or it's part of like the job, in which case it no longer feels like input. Oh, it's oh, we have a visitor. You want to oh. my friend Fleur? Hello. <laughs> this, is, this is Otis. Wow. Um, did you lose some teeth? Did you lose some teeth? <laughs> Where's she the mop. Oh, you know what? Uh, I'll come get it after I'm done with this, okay? You have to wait a minute. Okay. Tell Daddy to come find the mop. Okay? Thank you. Oh, you don't? That's a bigger problem. <laughs> he doesn't know where Daddy is. Um, Go find Daddy and tell him to find the mop. Honey, I'm busy right now, okay? I'll help you after I'm done. Please. Okay, go find him. He's somewhere in the house. He couldn't have left. And will you close that door, please? Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so, sorry. I I was thinking mm. you must also feel, oh, no. and if this is too personal, we can skip, but mm. oh, good. I don't know if you have a partner or if, like, and you must be protective of your relationships. And, mm. you know, yeah. I, I found as I get older, I'm very much more about surrounding myself with people who are bucket fillers and yes exactly yeah that's important too and I think like for me um it it always kind of surprises people the people in my life that are closest to me are not necessarily the people doing any kind of spiritual work Mm -hmm. um they're like really just quote unquote I mean I'm normal too but yes I have (laughs) yes I have my my little crew of people that I am like Oh, these are like my spiritual um, calibrators, but they're not necessarily my everyday people. My everyday people are really grounding, really like feet on the floor. I'm not going to have deep spiritual discussions. For the most part, like they don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there is like, um, they care about how my job went, but it would be like if I were a therapist or like talking about my day or whatever it is, they're not going to necessarily have that sense of, oh, I'm going to learn from you as like as if you're a spiritual teacher or whatever. It's like it keeps me grounded. It keeps me centered. Um, mm-hmm. And it fills that bucket in a way that's not output. Um, so, yeah, it's that as well. It's like and. And and I think in partnership, in family, in my best friends, um, I could be a medium or I couldn't be a medium. I think if you like you took my job title out of it, the relationship wouldn't necessarily change. Mm-hmm. Like if I like one day was like, okay, I'm not going to be a medium anymore. I don't think anyone would even really change their dynamic with me. Do you have people who come through for like your close people or are you really able to turn it on and off? And also yeah, I have like a golden rule. I do not work for family or friends. Oh. Yeah. That's smart. And it's like 
Golden, golden. I feel like rule. my sister should have that rule. My sister is an interior yeah. designer and has had just done so much work for me to get this couch made. <laughs> it's a Feels good like, rule. I mean, it's 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 a hard one, and I think my hardest test. And this, I'm going to sound terrible for saying no to this, but my hardest test was my like 86 year old grandfather being like, "Well, could I connect?" And I'm like. Yeah, but not through me, <laughs> you know, mm. because the thing at the end of the day is it's not even that I'm not wanting to do you do that, that favor or that gift. It's that I'm actually not going to be very good at the job. So I'm biased. I know your history. Anything that I would bring up, I would scrutinize before giving you. So I'm never going to be in flow. Um, I'm actually like robbing you of the opportunity to have that moment, I think. Because mm-hmm. if that I were to... sense, yeah. Like a doctor who's not going to do surgery on their loved one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not going to give you the best or therapist. There is no way that I could be that person for you because I'm, I could lie to myself and say I'm not biased, but I am. Right. Have you had readings, like, that have felt profound to you with, you know, other mediums and psychics? Yeah, I don't um, get them that often anymore because I really, this for me was a big aha a couple years ago. I realized, um, and this is what really started me teaching intuition, I realized that was I, I was incredibly psychic for other people and I was horrific at being intuitive for myself. Oh, wow. Like really mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> and I, this is about five, six years ago. And I was like, no more. Like I need to train that muscle. And it's it's a lot of what I teach because when I tell people, you know, write down your five intuitive moments, chances are, especially very sensitive people, that they will write down at least four out of five about other people. Mm. It'll be like, I knew so-and-so was going to do da-da-da, or I knew something was wrong with X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not about you. Like, what about you? You know, mm-hmm. your intuition, such an indicator of where your antenna is pointed. Is it out? external or is it internal and if you can't pull your antenna internal you can't actually really manifest anything you can also not be intuitive about your own life so I created this whole course around that because it was such a a moment for me and since that time because I see a psychic as really being an ambassador to somebody else's inner knowing Mm -hmm. if I can access my inner knowing I don't really need the psychic wow if I'm disconnected from my inner knowing, then I, yeah, then it can be useful to have somebody help me see it. That's so, that's so profound. Um, it's also why when people are like, oh, when I come, can I come see you next? I'm like, I mean, preferably I never see you again. And I just teach you how to connect to yourself. <laughs> but also, yeah. you know, I refuse to see anybody more than once a year. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I'm really grateful that I have a wait list for that reason. So I don't actually have to deny anyone. I can just right. not see them for X amount of time. When when the when the you know spirits come out to you, what is the sensation like? Are you seeing something physically? Are you sensing it? Like how how does that you know, when you said like they're saying things, like how does that mm-hmm. work? Yeah. Well, one, it requires that I get into a certain headspace. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I would call that like an alpha brainwave or maybe even a theta brainwave. If you're familiar with brainwaves, when we're in our day-to-day, we have a beta brainwave. It's quite a fast-looking wave on a monitor. Alpha slows it down. It's that moment that you enter meditation. Um, alpha is also uh, right when we're kind of dozing off into sleep. Theta is an even deeper state, but you're still really conscious during this period of time. So a lot of people will have theta moments when they're like driving in a car and all of a sudden they're like, wait, how did I get here? You know, mm-hmm. or in the shower when they have that like light bulb moment of intuition. Um, it actually turns out that your brain goes into that alpha theta state with anything repetitive. So repetitive water or like repetitive, repetitive motions such as doing the dishes or vacuuming or painting or singing um, or driving. Everybody has kind of a different state that that initiates or a different activity that initiates that state. So for me, I go into that state first and foremost. I've traveled it often enough that I can just kind of go there. I don't know what it feels like. Um, and then I open my awareness up. All I'm doing is translating energy. So I'm just finding an energetic input and translating it either into a feeling, an emotion, an image, like kind of a daydream or a thought. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. I say I, they're telling me, it's usually a thought. It's like it just kind of zooms through my mind. Um, the way that it's translated at this point moves very quickly. And the best way that I could acknowledge that is when you're first starting to learn to read, you know, you're looking at every line and you're going like, oh, yeah, that line makes a K sound. And then you're like, kite, right? Like as kids start and then it's like, ah, oh, kite. OK, now where there's the meaning attached to not only the word, but also to the lines. And now for me, energy is in, has, has been processed enough to where I'm just reading. I don't know anymore, or it's not that I don't know, I could slow it down, but it doesn't really matter to me, the individual line. I'm just knowing the meaning of the word instantly mm-hmm. and the meaning of the sentence and the meaning of the paragraph. That makes so much sense. That is such a great metaphor for, yeah, how, how it works. Um, so, yeah, for like example, this is an easy one for people sometimes. You walk into a room, people have just had a really tense conversation or a fight. You might walk in and if you haven't really translated energy often, you go, ooh, feels weird. Right? Or like, mm-hmm. what were you guys just talking about? You know? And there's this just energetic like, mm. Now, maybe if you're even more attuned or more sensitive, you'd be like, ooh, somebody feels angry. Right? You could even identify an emotional quality to the energy that's in the room or maybe you would even go further and be like i know what they're fighting about or i know who's fighting within the group Mm -hmm. um it's all just energetic information but your ability to translate it more and more and more detailed is something you can learn it's just your system getting used to going and realizing that energy has a, a slight differentiation but it is all different just like every letter in the alphabet is different and every line is slightly different but it creates different meanings it's just a language Mm, that's so interesting I love that example I I do feel like I I I can be in tune to energy I don't know I mean I guess we all are but I think writing and trying to write from different characters perspectives and stuff I pick up on that sometimes in a way (laughs) be like yeah, absolutely. weird or whatever. And, who you know, um, and, and with the example. writing, you're also in the flow state. 
I I do. I you know, it's funny that you're saying that cuz I'm at the point where like if I need to crack something or get there, I just I just was had a project that I was like way behind on and um I know I if I take a bath, mm. go for a long drive or go for a long walk, those are like the three things that usually unlock it for me. So I'm grateful that I now know to do those things. Um yeah. but that is definitely where it comes in for me. And I would say that's so brilliant that you say that because I that's also so much of what I do with my students and like find your intuitive initiators because you will mm. have them. You know? Oh, like intuitive initiators. Yeah, like that. if you need intuition on something, don't just sit there and like beat your head against the wall. You're not going to get it that way you can't think your way into intuition you can't like struggle your way into this energetic knowledge you have that you just need to bridge up to the forefront go Mm -hmm. do something that puts your brain in that state to allow for it right yes and it's it's always it's nice to be surprised by yourself I think when you do that and it as much as you've struggled with something it it kind of comes with ease then yeah Um, so a few other questions for you. One is, have you given, I'm sure you have because of what you do, um, have you given thought to what you think for you, like dying will look like and what mm-hmm. what you'll be going on to? Yeah. It's funny. Whenever I think about that, part of me is just really excited to figure out what I was right about and what I was not right about. <laughs> you know, totally. kind of like, like a theory test because There's a lot that I feel fairly sure about. And I've written a book about, you know, really how energy flows and how you can create this connection to your own intuition, to your own psychic muscle, to your own spirit being. But then there's also many thoughts that I have not formalized completely yet and theories and ideas. And yeah, for me, I'm just like so curious. Um, But then also in no rush to get there, I think. Sure. But yeah, I don't really have any fear around it. Um, I I do feel like there's just questions or fear around that idea of like how you die than the actual dying process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, it's just like I'm just incredibly curious. When you think about it, what do you think your spirit experience will be? Well, I suppose that what I have to go off of is the many different experiences that I've noted from readings of how individual spirits have tried to translate it for me, right? Mm -hmm. Which, interestingly, is not always the same. So it's Mm -hmm. not cookie cutter which I think is is interesting as well. So I don't know quite how it would be for me individually because it seems to be slightly different for everybody. Um, one of the more interesting ones, though, that I think would be really beautiful is, is that you are kind of aware of everything at the same time without a limitation of space or time. So mm-hmm. very often those in spirit will talk about, you know, you were on your way and you were in the car and I was aware of that but I was also aware of the person standing next to me and I was also aware of the prayers being said 3,000 miles away from me 
And I was also aware of, you know, it's just this sense of like, and that that seems to um, translate across many experiences from what I've encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I don't know what exactly happens because, again, I'm not, I haven't crossed, so <laughs> I can't quite speak to that. Um, but uh, over and over again, it feels very, very peaceful. Um, it feels in part like a moment of surrender from what I've, from, from what I gather. Um, there is always a sense of there being someone in spirit on the other side. It's not like a lonely journey. Um, and it generally translates, at least for me, from my translation experience as something where there's an awareness of like, oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, (laughs) like, like in terms of like, huh, I was that resistant to this thing. So it generally has this sense of relief around it too, or kind of like a, especially if someone was like in a real struggle, which you'll often see with Alzheimer's or someone who's like really holding on and everyone's Mm -hmm. like, you can go, you can go, you know, and there's such a resistance. There's such a like, I'm scared or I'm fearful. And then often what will be translated back is this feeling in my body of like, oh, ah, all right. Well, I could have left a long time ago. (laughs) So like, right. Not so bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of as far as I've thought about it. Um, do you, do you, what are your thoughts and feelings on reincarnation? Yeah, this is the question that I'm like, ooh, let's see if I'm right. Because um, oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> People always ask this question. I feel like any theater show I've ever done, I leave 15 minutes at the end. And I can guarantee you <laughs> there will be this question in the 10 questions we do, you know. Always. Um, my my answer is always I don't know. Um, because I ultimately only connect to people who have passed who are still connected to someone here in the world and therefore are not reincarnated. So I'm never connected to somebody who's reincarnated because mm-hmm. I think your purpose or I believe your purpose continues. So if your mom passes, if your dad passes, they're still your mom. They're still your dad. Just because they've left the physical body doesn't mean they're now off to another life they're gonna have their purpose fulfilled even though it's not in a physical body but it will continue and that is also true for them being grandparents and potentially even great grandparents it's kind of like where their purpose ends may be different for each individual person and if they're the last to pass in a family where they didn't really have any family members that they felt purposefully connected to or even friends then they might I don't know. Who knows? They might just go on to the next life, but I would never talk to them because no one would come to see me. Right. Does that make That's sense? So of, I'm like, it totally admitted. does. It's kind of beautiful. It actually just gave me kind of like a a show idea about like on the other side, the the great grandparent when that person dies, they're finally like, mm-hmm. now I'm released to come back. <laughs> Thank you know? God. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's and not to go on a total tangent, but I've always thought it's such an interesting concept. Um, in Buddhism, you have the the pledge of the Bodhisattva, mm-hmm. and the Bodhisattva pledges to reincarnate until the last person has found enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very I think a lot of people pledge it when they go and you know visit a Buddhist country and they don't know what they're pledging. But I I've always kind of considered it like a major pledge to be like, okay, I'm gonna continue reincarnated and then being purposefully connected to you until we're ready to go and then have to come back to the same thing until the last person reaches a life. 
And I just like, I like to think about it as, I don't know, like the garbage man, you know, who's just like, oh, the burden of like all civilization on my shoulders. I just keep coming back for this. Like, you know, right. I don't know. I always have this, you know, like, you know, creative mind around it. But the point being, yeah, I don't I don't know. But what I will say, if I have a theory, I think we've oversimplified it. You know, we have this idea of time being chronological, which if you take a look at string theory, I mean, that kind of goes out the window. So that I think it just doesn't make sense to me that you would go into reincarnation from the perspective of die 1941, come back 1947 die again like i'm like it doesn't compute to be honest mm-hmm. yeah. it's nice we could put it in a nice little box we like that um but that's kind of part of where i'm like i don't know um but i will say i've just you know i've never read for somebody and they come in and and they want to connect to someone and i'm like oh you know if you would have been here two weeks ago they would have still been here but right they reincarnated <laughs> so i've just never had that experience Right, right. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I do you have time or do you have I forget if you were on like a strict schedule. If we could go a kind few of. more minutes. We can go a few more minutes. Yeah. I got like okay. five more. Have you ever helped like detectives or police or um you know, trying to figure out some unknown thing here on this realm before? Yeah, it's it's some of my favorite work, to be honest. Um I am about a third through a master's in forensic science because I'd really like to do. I mean, I've been a third through for a while now. The pandemic kind of threw me. (laughs) Sure. And then I wrote a book and then I had like other things, you know, so I was like, oh, God, this other degree that I was trying to get. Um, But I still (laughs) am going to finish it. Um, But there's that forensic side of me that I think is really um, something I might do a lot more of in the latter part of my of my work um it's you know because it's always pro bono and it's um and it's complicated cases generally uh aren't brought to a medium's plate until they're cold um Mm. or long long kind of given up on and at that point there's not a lot you can do Mm -hmm. um I did get to work on a case that I can't speak on too much, but it was really inspiring for me. And it kind of made me think, okay, what's the role of a medium or a psychic in in this homicide, in this detective kind of space? And I think because they're so under-resourced that one of the best ways you can help is to say, um, this is what I see. And they're like, yeah, that's what we suspected or whatever. And it's like, yeah, go follow that path. You know, forget right. about the 900 hours of this other stuff, because I, one of the things that I just realized when I was working on these cases is you're understaffed, you're, you don't have enough hours. Um, there is no way you can turn over every piece of evidence. So you are kind of just hoping that you find the thing. And right. there's... There's a time limit on like when you can solve a case before it gets cold or before a new case comes through the door and that's now your next priority. So so it kind of made me feel like, you know, I'm not because even I don't know how much I can say about this, but there's there's there was a real realization as well when I was working where even as a psychic medium, you're like, okay, well, yeah, this is the person who did it. And everyone in the team is like, yeah, we know Um, we just need the evidence. 
So I think oh, that happens a lot in right. cases. It's like, yeah, it's very obvious. They have a right. they have intuition too. They have a gut feeling on it. They know that all fingers point to XYZ. But if you don't have the evidence and you're understaffed and you can't go through all the stuff, then like where do you even begin? And I think if I am thinking about it from a long-term perspective, that's where a psychic medium could be helpful. You know, we're not there to be like, I've solved the case, but just to help streamline. Shape. Yes, that's so interesting. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, I yeah. could talk to you for literally hours. I have so many questions, but this was so enlightening and so wonderful to talk to you and get to know you. Um, and you as well. Please, uh, please share with everyone where they can find you and what is coming up for you and all that jazz. Yeah. So um, I have a podcast titled Moving Beyond, and it's where I do very similar to this, actually. I do a reading for someone and then we do a follow up. So it bridges all sorts of stories. I think it's really beautiful to hear other people's experiences. Um, and then there's a storytelling aspect to it as well. So we've got the Moving Beyond podcast. Um, and I also have a book titled Moving Beyond, which is all about connecting your own intuitive gifts, your own psychic gifts, your own mediumship gifts. So for anyone who's like wanting to figure out the whys, where's, how it works, um, Moving Beyond book is the way to go for that. And then you can always find me at mediumflare.com. Do a lot of classes. I teach a lot. It's like at the moment, my my love is to teach and help people read their own energies, know how to create it and put it out into the world. Um, I really, I work for the sensitives, I think. So I feel like people who are, who are sensitive, um, who are naturally empathic, don't always know how to use that superpower. And so they often don't actually end up getting to use the gift, right? They just feel overwhelmed by it. It's like, oh, like spaces are draining for me or I need a lot of self-care or I need da-da-da-da-da and I always feel like I'm trying to protect myself from the world versus owning the world. Um, that sensitivity can really be shaped into something that's actually like a superpower um, and everyone has it to some degree, right? So that, that these days for me in terms of teaching and in terms of mentoring um, that's my that's my passion, and you can find more information about classes at mediumflare.com, F-L-E-U-R. Amazing. Well, I've, I've been such a fan of yours, and I'm pinching myself that I got to have two hours with you. I really appreciate it, and I, I know our listeners will as well, so thank you. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Thank you. Oh, good. All right. Well, have a wonderful day. You too. Healing people. I will have a wonderful day uh, doing make-believe and... It's, well, it's important. We um, need it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Moving Beyond, the podcast. We would like to thank everyone who has shared their loved ones, their stories, and their heartbreak with us, making this podcast possible. If you haven't yet left us a rating or a review, we would greatly appreciate it as it helps others find the show. Moving Beyond is an independent podcast produced by Fleurless Inc. and Elizabeth Mihalich, with additional support from the team at 2020 Intuition, including Lotta, Teresa, Min, and Jill. Original music composed and produced by Lucas Tuttle. 
To learn more about Medium Fleur and her book, Moving Beyond, that teaches you how to access your intuition, psychic ability, and spirit connection, please visit www.mediumfleur.com. The link is in the show notes. If you'd like to be on a future episode of Moving Beyond, please send Elizabeth a short email detailing the loss that you've experienced and how grief affects your daily life to podcasts at mediumfleur.com. P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at mediumfleur.com. If you'd like to know more about the guest and the loved ones who appeared in this episode of Moving Beyond or how we create the podcast Moving Beyond, please visit our community at patreon.com. Simply search for Medium Fleur, M-E-D-I-U-M-F-L-E-U-R. We'll see you there. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.